What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm an basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. Here today, day after a big win in Game 2, the Lakers take it 109-102 in Phoenix to even up the series, Tam. Some good good things about this. Got a little bit too close there from my liking at the end, but I did feel like the Lakers were playing pretty much in control for the most part of this game, even though the shooters weren't making shots. You know, Anthony Davis came out assertive, uh, I think three assists away from a triple-double with three blocks. I think we, we, did, we don't appreciate this guy's, you know... I know, yes, he had a terrible game the first game. We called that out. But this guy had an epic game. That's a LeBron James-like line. And uh, he did that by getting to the free throw line and asserting himself. And uh, so we'll get into more specific adjustments and stuff. I just want to shout out AD. Yeah, obviously, Schroeder had a great game. We did see Gasol minutes. We'll get into that. I thought he still made two threes, which, hey, is, if he makes two threes a game, I think you'll be happy with that. So a lot of good to take from this. And this is the second game in a row. They've held the Suns to about 100 points. So you got to feel optimistic about that, at least. What did you think, Tim? Absolutely. I, I mean, AD was fantastic. So was the other AD. Like Andre Drummond, he had he created for seven sure. extra possessions, like himself, between offensive rebounds You're right, for sure. and, and uh, steals on the other end. Like the Lakers, and this is the second game in a row, we didn't shoot well. Like inside the, the paint, a little bit better, but from three-point range, team didn't shoot all that well uh, for the second game in a row. But the Lakers had so many more extra possessions than the Suns, and you're able to still get those points. So, I mean, even though like two or three of those offensive rebounds were in one play for Drummond, like he was, he was definitely, you know, hounding dudes on the boards. I liked the minutes we saw him against Sharich. We, we got to see just like Trez on Sharich is like, you know, he's a little bit of a physical edge. Drummond on him has a huge physical edge. And, and that was exactly what I was looking for when I was trying to figure out who should play when. So I was glad to see that. Happy to see those Gasol minutes. I think there's opportunity to increase the output of the groups of players put together in those Gasol minutes. It, like you can have the same five guys, but based on how you use them, you can, you know, get an A Definitely. performance or an F performance out of the same five players. So from an approach standpoint, there's some room for opportunity, but the fact that he was able to crack the rotation, I think was really important. The Lakers uh, just stylistically moved big. They, they had tons of big men minutes. The only Anthony Davis at the five minutes we saw the whole game were the final like three and a half minutes and, where yeah. we went plus six. They like you said, it got a little tight in that fourth quarter. I was getting nervous. But then that group came in, went plus six to end the game. 
Uh, we saw that Caruso, KCP, LeBron, AD, Schroeder lineup. Yeah. Um, and they, they played pretty well. But the two centers, Mark and Drummond, played about 45 of the 48 center minutes. So I thought that was a big yeah. takeaway for me. Didn't see Trez. Um, so I don't know. The, the rotation moves were interesting. And, and some of the scheme moves were interesting. There was a lot to take away from this game. And there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of you know, adjustments and activity from both coaching staffs. So I was, I was pleased to see a really well-played basketball game on both sides. Here, you want to take away, Tim. This is what I'm taking away. Anthony Davis sure makes a lot of fucking clutch jump shots when he, for a bad, bad jump shooter. How about them apples? He made a clutch three to push the lead to six. He hasn't been a good three-point shooter on the year. No. Oh, that was the one. The big ones are big. He had another one at the end of the third quarter Mm -hmm. to kind of push it back to 10 when the Suns were rallying. I'm just saying, for a guy who's not a good jump shooter, he makes them at the right fucking time sometimes. And and, and he just played really well, I thought, even though that jump shot wasn't falling in the mid-range. He was taking it like a little bit, but you could tell he wasn't just going to that first he was really trying to to get into the paint and and get to the free throw line as well so yeah Yeah. getting into those rotations tim i wanted to to break this down because you admit you tweeted something and i almost quote tweeted with but 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 i think it was like we would have agreed and just after just like four comments and just like wasted our time but you're like you didn't like keith in this one i actually thought he gave good minutes in the first couple of lineups that he was with so that was when ad came out with foul trouble gasol comes in and lebron stays on the court a little bit longer and they kind of switch that rotation right so it's Gasol, Keefe, LeBron, Kuz, KCP that's a long lineup like that's big and you mm-hmm. have ball handling with Braun you know a little bit with KCP, Kuz and Gasol obviously with some playmaking um, but Keefe provided a little energy he wasn't exactly like you know stretching the floor great but that could be Trez even and maybe we talk about that like maybe even put Trez into this kind of construction and just go really big but then they went uh, and took Kuz out for uh, Caruso so you have more of that two guard lineup there and I, I thought those two lineups did look good as well but once it started to look bad it was when THT came in for KCP like kind of toward the end like three minute mark in the first THT you know wasn't spacing the floor he wasn't able to you know provide a, a big boost on defense and that that shooting it could have been West there instead I really yeah I would have liked West to come in and maybe I guess maybe Frank is trying to give THT the first bite at the apple to see if they can get him to like 12 points in 10 minutes or something but it might even look like if West can just get in a better rhythm in the five extra minutes he gets, it might be worth it more. Yeah, it was really weird. The end of that first quarter, we saw four different lineups in four total minutes. It was a lot of like really choppy, not a lot, a lot of rhythm. Those groups, like we got a bunch of real quick looks and my analysis of it is more like, all right, given the skill sets, I like this or I don't like that more than like how they played themselves just because we didn't get to see all that much. But one thing that Keith did do that frustrated me was he came in. I was like, great, we've got spacing with him and with Mark. LeBron's going to be able to drive. Kuz is a good cutter. KCP can space the floor. But instead, we saw Keith like posting up a good bit and kind of playing like he was Montrezl Harrell. Uh, and if he's going to play that way, like you said, just. But that's just- why they put Mark in, I feel like. Yeah, but I would prefer some five-out spacing so that we can get the cutting game going and get that Gasol facilitation and get LeBron driving. If you're going to have someone hang out in the dunker spot or post up, 
I'd rather just have Trez in there than Keith. That that was it was a small thing, but to me it felt like a again it, it was like a minute, but like a small missed missed opportunity. I guess those four last four minutes, both of them played Keith and Gasol. But uh, like you said, that KCP Kuz Braun Keith Gasol lineup, I like that one. When Caruso came in for Kuz, I like that group. And then like you said, once THT came in, and we had a lot of plays where like THT. And Markeith Morris were like on the weak side needing to rotate. Things started to fall apart a little bit defensively because uh, those are two of the hot and cold rotating players that the Lakers have. Um, Wes in there for shooting would have been nice. He ended up coming in for LeBron. So we ended up with a Caruso, THT, Wes, Keith Gasol lineup, which I'm not a huge fan of. No, nope. I, I don't. No, I don't you. really like that group. Especially not how they were playing. But uh, I think I've left this game a little cold on THT and Keefe's minutes just because of like, I think the Lakers played what 11 guys that game, 12 guys that game, like take their minutes and give them to West. So instead of him playing four and THT playing five and Keefe playing four, whatever it was, have one of those three players play a good solid 12 minutes, be able to get in a rhythm. And if I need to pick one of those three, it's not going to be Keefe. He was in there cause AD got in foul trouble. And then it becomes, do I want the spacing with West and some probably good off better off ball defense um or that THT gets to the rim ability and given how the Lakers were running these lineups I don't think you need I don't think what you gain with THT in terms of ball handling is worth where he is as a defender and I mean he was turning the ball over I just I'm not sure if he's ready to take on the kind of role he had in the regular season with some of these lineups so nothing against him I think he will have some spots but I'd love to get one of those three guys in a rhythm and it's got to either be West or THT, but each of them playing three or four minutes isn't going to really, it really, it's not going to do it for me. One of the reasons that AD was in foul trouble is that he got a flagrant foul kicking Jay Crowder in the balls. Now, do I think Anthony Davis tried to kick Jay Crowder in the balls? I, the best I can say is probably not. That's the best I could say. It's kind of like what I feel like other players see Jay Crowder as. However, I do, mm-hmm. and I'm not like complaining about this big picture because he got the second quick foul on Crowder, which was a foul, maybe a BS thing that you don't like in the rules, but we got to respect it because it's in the rule book now. CP3 does it all the time. It's just how basketball's played. And if you don't use it, you're missing out. It's like PEDs and, you know, cycling or something like <laughs> you got to do it to be competitive to begin with. But so you use those rules and Anthony Davis, like Kobe would use that leg kick to create some torque and, and in the shot when he's doing those, like not a lot of space lift, you know, close range shots. Right. And yep. so that's, that is a part of basketball, but they're trying to call the, that a little flagrant now, but either way, AD got a little bit of poetic justice against Jay Crowder for his, uh, all his transgressions, you know? Yeah. It's, if he was trying to do it on purpose, he certainly wasn't looking that way, and he certainly had pretty good focus to get the shot to where it was. Um, it wasn't like a just complete air ball because he was focusing on kicking Crowder. It, it, I mean, it's something that we, we see when players are shooting and contorting in those angles. You kick your legs out. Now, just the way he did it where it was the one leg and it kind of went up in that one motion, it looked a little off, but I don't have any problem with it. I'm fine with the flagrant one. I have no problem with that either. I was just glad he didn't get thrown out. Um, I know he's not going to get that second. Like, I don't I didn't think he was going to be two separate instances throughout the rest of the game. But you just don't want to have something dumb 
at the be- at the very beginning of the game make this like an O2 series one. It, it's one of those it what could have been sorts of things. Um, and speaking of what could have been, Chris Paul is not looking so good. He's, He's hurt. Not. I I think LeBron is still feeling the effects of of his prior injury, and we have ourselves a series where two of the four best players aren't quite looking like themselves. And I don't know which of the two hurts their... I mean, Chris Paul probably hurts his team more because he's just not able to really be involved and active, whereas LeBron's more become a jump shooter, a little bit less active. But he's, you know, that IQ, that passing, he's still playing decent defense. Um, I I don't know. If I were a Suns fan, I'd be really worried right now because Chris Paul does not look right. He doesn't in all the different little subtle things if you play... You know, bringing the ball up with his left when he would normally dribble with his right. You know, just kind of, it was interesting. At some point, the Lakers intruder was like trying to send him to his right, like almost weaking him middle yes, with not were. a lot of help. And mm-hmm. it didn't go well for them. He still kind of got around it and was able to find some dugs. There's one amazing play of CP3 setting up a screen, like back to Schroeder, you know, fakes like he's going to spin and use the screen and then just like books it to the lane and and dumps off for a dunk. So CP3 still has the intelligence to be able to manipulate defense is even kind of with one arm. It's just he's going to be a dead guy on defense still, too. It was like that. It looked like a Kobe like you know, at the elbow, fake one way, yeah, spin the other way to shoot, but instead he dribbled. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he did that once or twice. It was a really cool move. Yeah. Uh, credit to him for being as crafty as he is in playing on one hand, uh, getting lefty rebounds, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I, from the start, I was, like, watching the game, getting settled in, get my laptop up, whatever, and I see someone else helping him take his practice shirt off and i was like oh that's oh that's probably not normal but i don't know i'm not going to speculate we'll 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 see what happens and i i'm guessing from i mean that point or earlier than that point he wasn't feeling right but he's a fighter he's going to go out there and battle monty williams was the one taking him out not really chris paul taking himself out um so you feel for him but as a laker fan and someone with money on the series it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable but certainly hope he's okay and and is feeling better as soon as possible as long as the, you know, in addition to the Lakers winning the series. (laughs) Yeah. And, and the other one is LeBron not looking like himself. And, and to be fair, like since we did see him catch an alley-oop dunk where he skied to, you know, touch the top of the box on the backboard. So there's parts of me that thinks like, is this really cocky LeBron that doesn't feels like he needs to really put pressure. So I'll just like coast for these as long as I can and keep my game in it by facilitating and, and, and making jump shots. Cause that's where to be perfectly honest, LeBron's right. The Lakers kind of almost need his jump shooting more than anything else. When, the rest of the role players aren't making anything, you know, basically. So, I mean, yeah, of course you want him to get to the basket, and and it's a significant drop-off, right? Looking at the numbers of years when he attacks the basket per year, it's been declining. And mm-hmm. now it's at, yep. at, at crater levels of like under 20% attacking yeah. the basket. But eventually, I, I don't – I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, you know – predict that he is just waiting in the wings i just feel he hasn't gone there because it's game two and and i don't know they didn't need it yet and i don't know maybe that's naive maybe that's giving them the benefit of the doubt but um i think he's trying to play long game a little bit here and and so far it's it's looked okay yeah i i think it's a combination of factors 
I, I think partly what you're saying, like he's not going to push it more than he feels he needs to. I definitely still think he's feeling those lingering effects of the injury. And it's not that he's completely fine and just coasting. It's that he's well enough to play, but he doesn't want to risk anything or put any extra pressure on that, that ankle if he, if he doesn't need to. So that's resulting in some of it. Um, one thing I did look into was, is this just a spacing thing? What does this look like? Cause he's at 17.2% of his shots in the playoffs so far in those two games have come within five feet of the rim. Um, Sam Cooper, who we did a pod with the other day from the timeline podcast, grabbed that nugget. He had been in the low fifties, high forties percentages for the past four seasons. Um, so that's a huge, huge drop off. So I was like, all right, is this just, he's playing with Drummond and he's playing with Trez. And in reality, it, it hasn't been that. It's It still looks poor when Anthony Davis has played center or when Marcus Saul's out there. So that's not it. It's not just something we can brush off because of spacing. Though I do think spacing matters. And and like having Trez out there and THT and Schroeder, these are some of the guys that the defense can sag off of a little bit. So that is part of it. It's not the whole story. And then the other piece of it is when LeBron posts up, he likes to get to the rim. He's not getting to the rim all the time, but almost all of his post shots so far in the playoffs have been jumpers. And part of that's probably the ankle. Part of that is also that in this Phoenix series in two games, 90% of his post-ups have seen extra help. So he's not, he is not getting true one V one post looks at basically at all. He's had one total in two games and he's had nine where he's faced extra help. So those couple factors I think are making this what it is where I'm optimistic is just, you know, over more time, you know, and in between every game, we're getting two, three days off. Hopefully he is able to recuperate and, and get right because he can't play like this and the Lakers win the title this year. He can play like this and we win this round. He can play like a little bit better than this and we can win next round, but you need him to ramp this up a bit. I don't, I don't think over seven game series, you can just bet on LeBron James as a jump shooter and and have that be the backbone of of this team. So that worries me, but I don't think that it's like a damning doom and gloom sort of thing right now. And there's plenty of time for this to get right, but it's it's something I think we should monitor moving forward. So what you're saying is LeBron got 23 points on efficient shooting as a decoy. I mean, because he's kind of playing like a decoy right now, like a playmaking decoy, as crazy as that sounds. he He's using the pick. He's trying to pretend he's going to like trot to the lane slowly. So you have to get in front of him technically, but you don't really need to like play him as hard as you normally do because he's just going to pass out of it. But those guys, it's like muscle memory. It's LeBron. It's you know what I mean? So it's you're still getting some of the juice from mm-hmm. from having him in that reputation. But like that, that, there's that freeze frame. I don't know if you saw where he catches up in the left block and he's kind of fronting Miles Bridges. And it like two tiny guys sprinting from the weak side to step up. And he could have easily like just taken two steps and bodied somebody and laid it up. But there's going to be legs under him landing. And, and so he skips it across and we get like a 24 second violation instead. Yep. Yeah. It's been noticeable to me how many times he and AD for that matter have had what I would consider pretty good mismatches. And that has not resulted in them getting to the rim. Either they pass out of it or they take a jump shot. Like LeBron guarded by uh, campaign or guarded by, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm mixing up uh, Cam Johnson. And what's Payne's first? Is Payne's first name also Cam? Cam? Yes. Okay. 
All right, I feel better about myself. I thought I was uh, mixing up there. So <laughs> whether it's Campaign or DeAndre Ayton, like he hasn't been driving on those guys. He's he's just been shooting jumpers. So that stands out to me, and you just want it to get better over time. So that's something to monitor. Another thing that hopefully fixes itself is our three-point shooting. And I would assume it'll get better going to that home crowd instead of going to like the first real atmosphere this team's seen all season long. Um, you know, role players shoot a little bit worse on the road anyway in the playoffs. So all of those factors I'm hoping will result in some better shooting. I think if the Lakers run these same game plans and then shoot like 35% on threes, we can like, we can win. We can go 2-0 and at home, maybe even blow out some of these games because um, it's been pretty, pretty bad so far. Yeah. Yep, I'm kind of moving on a little bit here, Tim. We're going to try and cover as much as we can about all the facets. We'll probably get to Phoenix's offense and Lakers defense later, but starting with the Lakers offense, uh, there are a couple of possessions there. Phoenix did bust out that 2-3 zone, and it seemed to kind of muck stuff up for the Lakers, and I wonder if that's something you could start to see some more. Now, Lakers have had a pretty good history, I would say, about beating the zone in the, the, in the bubble, um, but this team, I don't know if this team has shown that same uh, proclivity now, especially with Andre Drummond. So that might be a new kind of muscle they have to work out. How do you see how or how have you seen the the Suns 2-3 uh, zone mess up the Lakers? Because it's something like two points or eight possessions. That's right. For the Lakers. Yeah, yep. It, which is bad. But I think the process has been better than the results so far. So they're playing okay. a 2-3 zone. Eight and in the middle, you've got your guards up top, you've got your wings or your power forward, small forward, whoever, on your back line. Um, LA's approach has been actually pretty varied. They're not trying to do the same thing over and over again. They've tried screening the top of the zone a couple times. They've tried getting Anthony Davis in the middle, throw it into him, he's huge, and then he can turn and attack or he can turn and try to pass to guys. And when everyone's standing around, that doesn't really do much, but when you can flash him to the middle and Aiton goes up with him, and then he can turn, and then you've got like Andre Drummond posting up uh, Cam Johnson or somebody small. That can be a really good like high low sort of look, and can be something the Lakers try to do where you know pick whoever you want to go to that middle, draw out that backline middle defender, and then pick whoever you want to post up against whichever post backline defender you want to post up. So sometimes Chris Paul's back there. I would be, anytime Chris Paul's on the backline, I would be looking to go high low and post him up. Um, because that's going to that's gonna work. And if Aiton sags back to help Chris Paul, that's going to be a wide-open jump shot or that player can go attack. So getting AD in the middle, I think, is key. Um, we've seen the Lakers post up a couple times. Drummond dribbled one out of bounds. We saw one play where they had, like, two mid-post players and two wings where there are only three backline defenders, but the Lakers lined up four players. So somebody's going to be open. Um, and once they – LeBron, I think, skipped the ball over to – Alex Crusoe on the left corner and he dribbled along the baseline and that collapsed the defense and created seams. Um, we've seen a couple plays where they'll try to like screen the top of the zone, attack middle, force the other top of the zone to like stop you and then skip it over to THT for him to attack a, a seam in the zone. So they're running the right concepts. It just hasn't been successful so far. Part Wait, of its really decision quick. making. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the two points did they scored. Was that the, the LeBron bounce to Drummond when he kind of flashed in the middle there. LeBron had it. I think that was a zone coverage, but I was just sorry. Sorry to interrupt. If it didn't strike your brain, don't just move past it. I don't remember. I, I don't remember which play we scored on. I know we've gotten several wide open three pointers that have been missed. Um, yeah. 
story. And there have been a couple plays. Like, the, the one THT drive, he had Wes open. Like, there, there have been good opportunities. Right. Just the shot making hasn't been there. It's a small sample. So I'm – before I looked at the film, I was a little worried because – it's hard to see everything happening live, and I just knew the results were poor. And if the Lakers aren't successful against the zone, they're going to see it more. And the more lineups they put out that don't have LeBron or Gasol or some of these guys you trust to kind of operate things, if it's like THT, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, Andre Drummond and Markeith Morris or some some group like that, like they should be seeing zone. If, I, if I'm Monty Williams, I'm throwing zone at that group and forcing them mm-hmm. to get organized and attack. Because zones also, if, if you're not organized, they can – chew up a bunch of time and then suddenly there are four seconds left and somebody needs to go make something happen so that is something i anticipate we'll see more of but the lakers have approached it pretty well i also think if the lakers do end up driving and drawing fouls we might see phoenix go to his own as a way to protect some of their players in foul trouble so the lakers can't i don't know get them on the perimeter or try to attack them in specific ways so that could be another route to seeing more zone but for the most part i i would say trust the process the Lakers have taken so far and we're, we're actually doing pretty well. Well, and you probably want to play a little zone too, you know, in those campaign Chris Paul lineups um, because, and, and to be fair, that's right around when Schroeder kind of went off in that second quarter, kind mm-hmm. of getting to the rim and finally, you know, using some of those advantages that we thought he would have in this series. But uh, moving past the uh, zone from the Suns, Lakers post game was so much better in game two. Uh, six points in game one on 11 possessions. Terrible. 32 points game two on 24 possessions. Um, so, and I, I specifically kind of tracked just AD on, on DeAndre Ayton. And for what I saw, I, I counted five points on six possessions. He ended up splitting a pair of free throws, but a couple mid rangers there. He did get into him, uh, and get fouled a couple times and hit uh, a couple floaters that are like looking better than his, you know, his little bump, like kind of reach at a weird angle over you floater has been looking better than his mid range. Mm-hmm. So most of his misses were in the mid range there. So you just want to see him continue to be physical on Deandre Ayton, especially if he moves to the five uh, a little bit more consistently. But uh, what did you think about like the post counters? What, how did that look this game? It looked much better than the first game in game one. There were eight times where the Suns brought extra help and the Lakers countered one of them, which is not very good in game two. There were 15 times the Suns brought extra help and the Lakers countered seven of them. So about 50% of the time and every single time they've countered this series, it has been attacking the weakness the defense is giving you. So they've been incredibly efficient when uh, they are. I mean, they've been pretty, they've missed some open shots. This team is bricking threes left and right right now. So that's going to drag this down a bit. But even with those bricked threes, they're scoring a point per possession when they're countering the help, when they're facing help and not countering, they're scoring 0.8 points per possession. So like an 80 offensive rating, not very good. And then when they're getting true one V ones, which isn't happening frequently, it's like 35% of the time they're scoring about a point and a half per possession. So true one V ones, this is a team with post defenders, LeBron and AD can, can attack. But they're just not going to give you those looks off. And so you have to counter. And the Lakers, credit to them, game two. They were organized. They were countering. They're cutting to the middle, flashing from the baseline. We saw a couple. I'd never seen it before. Honestly, this is something completely new to me where instead of setting a pin and flare screen where you just kind of get in the way of the defender and then when the skip pass happens, the defender turns and he can't run past you. 
Instead of that, they've been sending Alex Caruso like he's crack blocking in football where he just runs out of nowhere and he blindsides somebody. So he like if he's trying to open up the shooter in the corner and he's at the wing on the weak side. So he will just sprint towards the rim slash also the corner de- man's defender and try to hit that guy. So that dude has no shot at making a rotation. And for some reason, it hasn't been called an offensive foul yet. But if I were the Suns, I would be saying like, what the hell is this? Like, he's he's <laughs> he's throwing football blindside blocks. Like, that's 15 yards, man. Um, but he's, I mean, he's done two of them so far. They've been fantastic. fantastic I'm going to start calling yeah. this the crack that's action because it's a crack block. So I like those. It's like a pin and flare screen, but more violent. And I'm here for it. This is this is playoff basketball. I love it. Uh, good good stuff to hear from there. Uh, and countering it mo- the the double when it did come right more frequently, more mm-hmm. effectively. Um, I also think AD wasn't settling for the mid ranger. He did a few times there late, and it started to get frustrating. But I think he's starting to realize his uh, his aggressiveness is his best friend here. Maybe not his soft touch from the mid range, but. Again, he, he yeah. hit the clutch ones. He hit the clutch threes, two threes in that second half. Both of them were big. He did. And I think the speed at which he attacks has changed a little bit. That first game, he'd get the ball, and it was wait and watch AD, and then and then either pass out or take a shot with two seconds left on the clock. He's attacking more quickly now. Not every play, but, but in general, attacking more quickly. LeBron, on the other hand, is taking his time. And when he takes his time, it lets the defense get perfectly set up, and then the longer he takes, the closer, just slowly, it's like a Kyle Anderson fast break, just slowly, you know what's happening, you know what's going to happen, they just work their way over to him, and that extra help comes, so he needs to read the floor and go, the the or have guys move on the weak side, you can't have players standing around, and then also if you're LeBron, just stare at everybody, because if you don't have something, by wasting eight seconds, you don't have a chance to kick the ball out and run another attack. You, you are making it so that you either need to jack a shot up or whoever you get the ball thrown to needs to immediately jack a shot up. So I'd love to see a little bit more speed in terms of processing and attacking. Um, that crispness, I think, will really help LeBron unlock his postgame a little bit more. Last thing, Tim, before the... Uh we get to a break here on the Lakers offensive side of the ball. I do think we will see some adjustments specifically for Schroeder. So what do you think the Suns can do to slow him down a little bit? Because he was able to a lot in the second quarter and the third quarter, get to his spots. He was making threes. He was making mid rangers. He was getting to the basket uh, with those scoop shots. So if you're Monty Williams, how do you adjust? And then, you know, hopefully tell us the right answer to beat that on the Lakers end too. Yeah, so if I'm Monty, I'm looking at the matchups, and if LeBron's not in the game, I'm putting Mikael Bridges on Dennis Schroeder. He's been their best defender. He's been a really good point-of-attack defender, going to take on tough matchups, and he'll be able to stay in front of Dennis Schroeder for the most part. Chris Paul is getting blown by and has been saved by the fact that the Lakers floor isn't all that spaced on offense. Um, There have been times or two or three times I've seen where Schroeder drives right by him, and then, like, Dario Saric is just standing there because he happened to be there because his guy is Trez and Trez is at the three-point line for some reason. So those sorts of plays uh, hurt the Lakers in a way. So the Lakers need to be a little bit smarter about having more gravity or, or positioning their players better so Dennis can get to those baseline drives he likes to do. But from the Phoenix perspective, it starts with that matchup. And then in his actions, there's no reason to go over a Dennis Schroeder ball screen. Go under, 
you can drop your big and force him to hit those those pull-up shots. Um, do not let him get downhill. Once he gets downhill, he's going to the rim or he's going to try to kick it out to somebody. Um, so I think it starts with just not letting him get ahead of steam. And in that plus the matchup would probably be the simplest adjustments to to take care of Schroeder in his driving game because he has that one really good punch. Yeah. And if he's taking mid range pull ups like you're OK with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would like to see a little bit more, you know, early offense Schroeder like Iverson cuts, especially mm-hmm. if you get up, get a big wing on him like that, make him chase around a couple screens, a couple movements and give Schroeder a corner or a curl to kind of get his head going down. And hopefully, you know, he could see the floor from there too. But yep. I do agree putting bridges on him, but then, you know, in this hopefully construction, you would have Kyle Kuzma try to take advantage of campaign. Uh, and so you need to adjust. You need to find those other small advantages. It's small as they could be, you know, cause they're still trying to move the pieces around to, to plug the holes. You know, I think the Lakers, have more yeah. finger fingers than holes giggity exactly and i that that's an interesting analogy um <laughs> the other thing they can look to do <laughs> with a, with as many fingers as they have is uh i think running those real quick um just step up ball screens for shooter if bridges is on him go have chris paul's man go set a screen and just try to get a guard guard switch and because a lot of teams just concede that and if they don't switch it he probably has a lane to attack down the sideline. So I'd just be running those. If he doesn't have a matchup he likes, just immediately run that, get him a matchup he likes with 20 seconds left on the shot clock, and then go through the rest of your play instead of saying, all right, well, you know, we don't like this matchup. We're going to force someone else to go attack that maybe we don't feel the most comfortable with. I wouldn't ask Kuz to do more if I don't have to if the defense is going to give up some of those automatic switches, like I think the Suns will. So that that is the tit for tat, you know, what the Suns might do, how the Lakers can counter. This is, I think, a little bit simpler, um, but something that can play a big role in this next game because Schroeder. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed having a guy that can stay in front of him is, you know, that's the difference of it could be three, four, five points in a game. If, if he's consistently beating Chris Paul and uh, if he's not able to drive, because he also unlocks things for teammates. And if you can stay in front of him, that does not happen. Yeah. Maybe force them to use up some of his energy bar on Dennis Schroeder instead of LeBron or AD. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows with LeBron as he is right now. But we'll get into the Lakers defense here coming up after the break. Uh, and we'll be right back. 
All right, Tim, coming back from break, the Lakers uh, early in this one chose to throw a couple different mix and match of screen coverages, but settled for the majority of the game, to my eye, into a basically primary drop coverage in CP3 and Devin Booker pick and rolls. Did you see the same thing? Because there was some catching earlier or early in the game. There was some some okay. AD is going to be the the guy to get on you. Or we're just going to switch it later in the game. So there is definitely anomalies, but I thought the majority of it was this drop coverage that Booker just didn't read it in the moment uh, and forced some turnovers. You know, he wasn't able to get to the rim or really get too many pull-up threes either. Uh, it was a lot of the mid-range that was available, but he wasn't taking it. He was just getting fouled. Yeah, this was a better game for the Lakers with their pick-and-roll defense. In that first game, their ball screen defense was giving up a 101 offensive rating in ball screens in this game it was 92 and that's really nice. really solid defense yeah in that first that's game amazing. and and we didn't have this tallied we, we didn't have this tallied before now looking at game one quarter by quarter the points per possession for phoenix went from 1.44 in the first quarter to 0.97 in the second quarter to 0.86 in the third quarter, to 0.78 in the fourth quarter. Quarter after quarter, the Lakers just slowly just constricted that pick-and-roll offense. And in this game, they started out running some of those same catch hedges. Um, The Suns did a good job, not quite beating the catch to beat the catch, but they were able to string those out into... Uh, switch situations and then pick some mismatches and we saw them attacking Marcus Saul we saw them attacking Andre Drummond and that was just a general theme with the Lakers playing a bit bigger this game so like you said the Lakers went to more drop and it wasn't some deep drop like you'll see the box run where Brooke Lopez is like standing at the restricted area where the ball screens at like the the top of the key it was more the no man behind roll uh, drop defense like the Lakers ran last year, where you're not going to be any deeper than you need to be, but you will be as deep as the the deepest guy between the lob, the, the roller, and the pick and roll ball handler. They're going to retreat as much as necessary to make sure they stay in front. Um, I thought that was helpful, uh, and something the Lakers turned to was also doing a little bit more of proactive movement off the ball instead of having to tag guys late with your two weak side defenders, they would have one defender at the wing, just zone up those wing and corner players. And then the other defender get under the rim, like early, not in, so in a position Rotate. where yeah. instead of needing to go to the roller and then back, you were yep. already there to start with. So you only have one place to go. And that deterred some of those roles that kept lobs from happening um, when it was run. Yep. And the, the Suns didn't do a good job of exposing that weak side vulnerability that the Lakers had in their defense. We then saw the Suns recognize that and try to counter it by going to some of their Spain sets, where if that help is from that guard that's rotating over early, instead of just letting him stand there because his man's standing on the weak side, we're going to use his man as a shooter or as a back screener running up towards the top of the key. So on those Spain sets that the Suns ran in that second game, they scored, hang on, they scored 13 points and seven possessions. And a lot of it came later in the game. This was an adjustment in game that they made that was really, really effective. Um, sometimes it was the back screen. Like Gasol got back screened and Eaton got an open, lo- uh, open roll on one play. On other plays, it was 
just a lack of help defense for the hedging big because KCP or whoever was guarding that shooter didn't know if he should go stop the drive or stop the shooter running towards the top of the key. So just that confusion by the defense was really, really helpful for Phoenix's offense. Um, so they did that. They had a lot more of their double ball screen actions or their Chicago actions where it was a dribble handoff into a ball or a pin down into a dribble handoff. A lot of actions that had a bunch of defenders in one place so that when the ball handler dribbled off that, they were able to create a 2v1 read. And just like we talked about last game, pick one defender and make him wrong because you're going to have a lob threat and you're going to have a corner three-point shooter. So they did some of that. And something it, something you saw in the before even those actions was you would have campaign or Devin Booker screen for each other so they would get switched. So now you have the mismatch in your favor, even though it's Cruz is a good defender. He's still small for Booker. Uh, and, you know, KCP started on Booker and now he's last quite quick his foot as Caruso for pain. So they would get that guard switch first and then kind of run those actions, too. Sorry, I just wanted to yeah, mention no. like, puts that small guy in even worse of a position position yeah absolutely that that pre-work can be really helpful in setting up the actions that you then run so i thought that was really good the lakers dropped a lot so we also saw the suns and particularly campaign did a good job with this where he would drive deep enough to engage that dropping defender and deep enough that his man the ball handler's man the guard whoever it was would instead of sticking with him would veer back or peel off and, and go switch basically and then once they got that switch sometimes it was drive and then retreat a lot of times it was drive and then just keep going under the rim and back to the other side of the court and, and bring the big man with you but they did a lot to like keep their dribble alive get the switch they wanted and instead of engaging that big man at the rim bring them back out with you and then drive on them. So I thought that was really important for Phoenix and especially campaign did a good job attacking in those situations. But I think a big takeaway for me is that these teams are, they're moving and shaking. They're making adjustments. We've seen a lot already. We've seen a lot of quick adjustments, but we're also seeing Chris Paul not be nearly as effective as yeah. he was previously in that first quarter of the first game, he was picking the Lakers apart and has not looked the same since. And that really hurts this team because instead of having those two dynamic guards, one on ball, one off ball, you don't really have to worry as much about Chris Paul on ball. And he's not taking some of those same shots that he normally does. And that lets you run that drop coverage against him. And then you can focus a little bit more on Booker off ball. So big picture. We saw a bunch. We saw showing and recovering hard a few times because there were a few plays where like Marcus Gasol was being attacked and the, he can he can defend in one direction. If you tell him like, you know, you need to be able to defend against the sideline, like he can use the sideline as his friend. When he's in the middle of the floor, we saw him crossed up a couple times. I think there were two occasions where he got crossed up and the guard got to the rim. He was still able to contest, but that's not ideal. He wasn't able to contain. So we saw the Lakers use him more in showing and recovering on a few occasions we have not seen any trapping yet in ball screens for the most part um and just i guess big picture we saw 38 different drops uh 14 switches four catch hedges this game three show and recovers three miscommunications and then one time the lakers purposefully didn't have their big man hedge um if we just look at those things for what they are and you see the efficiency it looks like switching is killing the lakers Catch edges were really good on a small sample, and drop coverage was was okay. But 
that's the results. Not that's not quite the process. If we look at the process and you say, okay, you started in drop coverage and it turned into a switch, or you started in the catch hedge and it turned into a switch, and you you split up those those switch possessions and you allocate them to what the Lakers were trying to do, and sometimes they were just trying to switch, so that doesn't get rid of all of them. But if you allocate those possessions accordingly, catch hedging uh, happened eleven times in this game and gave up one point two points per possession. Not good. Wasn't good last game. Same story here. The drop coverage the Lakers were running, 0.9 points per possession, much, much better. Showing and recovering was even better than that. Um, and I think that's a good place to start for the next game. Start and drop. See if the Suns can have a game plan where they're constantly attacking you with their Spain actions and those double screens and trying to keep their dribble alive. Because um, they have some of the right concepts, but there were still a lot of occasions. There were 40 ball screens where the Suns just ran a ball screen and then they weren't really leveraging a concept itself. They weren't saying, oh, we're going to use Spain action. That's going to get something open. Or we're going to run a double screen. That's going to create a 2v1. They were just running screens to run screens. And something you and I were texting about is there are a lot of these plays where Devin Booker just was not reading the defense. And he was taking shots that we're happy with him taking. He was taking shots that the defense wasn't giving up. And on those 40 ball screens where the Suns didn't run an actual concept. They were scoring 0.64 points per possession. That's that's really, really bad. So they're in a situation where the Lakers can, you know, you go go run your couple screen coverages. Don't be super predictable. Mix it up enough, but have your core screen coverages. And the Suns need to be play calling left and right if they want to have a chance to score efficiently against this defense. Because when they just let their guys go out and play, it's not leading to good shots. At least it hasn't so far. Yeah, and the, a couple other coverages too, right? Like they still tried to ice or weak the side mm-hmm. pick and rolls. So sometimes that will be Devin Booker, like still trying to attack the big, travel down the baseline, come out the other side. But what the Lakers did that I thought was smart was like, okay, no, no, we're not just going to have Andre Drummond track you that whole way. We're going to switch Anthony Davis onto you as you come out the other side. And Andre Drummond will just kind of like sink to his guy. And then anytime it was Anthony Davis on Booker, Booker was just like, nope. And the ball gets out of his hand. It's Jay Crowder with the shot clock running down, like shooting a floater. It's Cam Johnson shooting an 18 foot baseline shot after a closeout, which is the kind of path to victory that we laid out and the, the scheme that we built around, you know, uh, trying to stop this offense. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when I looked at like the switching efficiency for the Lakers, it didn't look good. But if you look at just the switches that are like AD is switching, this isn't a switch because Phoenix forced the Lakers to switch again with like Gasol or Drummond. When it was AD switching, he did a real good job. He's going to get beat sometimes, but for but he's going to do as well as just about any big in this league um, defending in those situations. And when you do that and there isn't some 2v1 automatically for the Suns to attack – that results in those situations where somebody just has to go make something happen late clock. So that is a, a nice trump card for the Lakers to have. They went to it the final three and a half minutes of the game with AD at the five. They started yeah. switching stuff. The, those double ball screens were hurting the Lakers fourth quarter. Um, and and I even like I, I built a game log of here's you know every ball screen. Here's the coverage the defense ran. Here's what the offense did. Here's the result. And you can see the ebbs and the flows of when the Suns were making pushes and when they weren't efficient and they were making a real real good push where they were scoring and scoring and scoring they scored I think like nine pick and rolls in a row in the fourth quarter and then the Lakers brought in that 80 at the five group started switching stuff and were able to 
prevent a lot of that from happening. Um, a lot of switching pre-screen stuff to switching off ball like and just when we saw a mismatch even off ball we would pre-rotate i thought the rotations were on point tonight on defense as Mm -hmm. far as guys stepping over and like you talked about just kind of getting into position before they need to be and then if devin booker you know comes around that screen like they would kind of get there but they're just like we just take this yeah if you're switched on andre drummond after an ice side pick and roll just take the mid-ranger is what we want is what we're giving you but we're not going to get to the rim we'll force you to come out the baseline not gonna like we were just protecting Andre Drummond and in that way it didn't work the fourth quarter he got burned but he had a good game up until that end shift I thought um overall yeah in what in Marcus all got burned Marcus all yeah he did it it, it, watching the game live and then seeing the disc I'm usually during the games like I'll tweet a bit but I'm also in the discord chatting with with those folks the good friends of the pod over there and there was a lot of whoa Mark's getting burned Mark just got burned again get Mark out of there what's going on Tim what's happening um and watching live I was feeling those same things seeing those same results and leaving the game like oh crap <laughs> like this isn't good they were it seemed like they were targeting him but then looking back at the film I was realizing, oh, okay, it's that Spain action. He was getting screened or his the, the help he thought he had behind him that we saw there earlier in the game wasn't there. And then suddenly, because he's taking a higher angle, a more aggressive angle, knowing he has help behind him, he's getting burned because the help's not behind him. So there were, re- there were reasons he was doing what he was doing and there were reasons he was getting burned. And it came down to some of those X's and O's in addition to, you know, his foot speed not being the best, but... He was asked to do a coverage that he's capable of doing, assuming all of those other schematic pieces are in place. And the Suns just did a good job of kind of, you know, knocking down the foundation of, of what was built there. So I, I know I, I really enjoy watching the film and looking through after. And I'm like, oh, man, like there was much more of a game within the game that you may not have noticed watching live that I think was really interesting. And moving forward, I, I'm interested to see where it goes. If Chris Paul continues to be limited like he is. I think we're going to see more drop. I think we're going to see, like you said, more of that icing or more of weaking of those screens, push Booker to his left, push Chris Paul to his right with that that injured shoulder. Um, I think the Lakers need to continue mixing in some of those aggressive screen coverages, just not in a predictable way. We've, I think we've realized that they can beat what the Lakers throw at them if they're calling the right plays. But as long as you're not running the same defense every play, they're not really calling the right place. As long as you can keep them on their toes, they don't have the the in-game read and react capabilities with these players where I feel worried that this is going to be a pick-and-roll offense that just goes off on us. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Big picture, leaving this game, I feel much better about Mark. I feel better about Drummond than I did watching live because there were certainly times where they were getting beat around the corner and I was like, oh my goodness, what's happening? And on the film, I'm seeing exactly why. So I'm not too worried about that. I think moving forward, the Lakers just need to be ready to defend that Spain action. It's going to come. You need to be ready to defend that. We actually saw the Suns run it against the Lakers in the regular season, and that comes down to recognizing it as soon as possible, communicating it, and having those two players that are involved in that back screen or maybe it's a down screen, they need to talk to each other and make sure they have those two areas figured out and covered because you just don't want to give up the open three. You don't want to give up the open lob. So those two players need to talk, and we've seen the Lakers avoid that back screen in the regular season. They can do that. 
the other thing the Lakers need to be ready to do is defend when the Suns are trying to string out those hedges or attack and retreat or keep your dribble alive and create mismatches and then attack. Just the way you said you want to switch off ball. If if campaign drives along, you know down the right baseline and then he retreats along the left wing to reset and then attack a mismatch, while he's retreating, switch. So those sorts of little things can negate what the Suns are trying to do. And then the third thing is defending those uh, pick and rolls where they have two screens or that Chicago action, or you might hear it called a, a zoom action where there's that pin down into a dribble handoff. Defending those actions either with switches when AD is out there at the five or something the Lakers did and did well was because there are two screens, you don't want to meet them after the second one. Have the defender of the first screen step out hard and force the ball handler to take a second, retreat, or not use that second screen. That is when you can really shut down that action because if they can't go off that second screen and attack you know, left to right and then turn the corner and they have to go attack where there are like six different players, it's much more congested and it's much more difficult for the offense. So defending those three concepts going into game three, I think are going to be really important for the Lakers and allow them to keep guys like Marcus and Andre Drummond on the court as long as they'd like to. Because if you don't do a good job with these, those guys are going to continue to not look so good on defense. And that in, instead of just switching the personnel, which the Lakers have as a fallback plan, you I want to see them, you know, fight that tactical war like we did in uh, game two. Yeah, I think you'll see, uh, as from the Lakers end, the perspective shift from, I think we know how to guard Chris Paul if he's this limited. Now let's turn our attention to how do we guard campaign? How do we want to, as a principal, guard this guy? Because as a sixth man, he doesn't warrant as much consideration, but when he's dropping 18 points on 15 possessions in the pick and roll as a ball handler, a lot of those 16 of them against the drop, you know, he has some foot speed that even Chris Paul healthy doesn't maybe some finishing, some crafty. So, you know, obviously Chris Paul is going to get his midi, but that's not going right now. And that's why you have to kind of respect him in that pick and roll. If he can finish at the rim too, but campaign Monty Williams has already shown uh, that he is willing to, you know, limit Chris Paul's minutes. If he doesn't feel that he can perform and campaign credit to him, Tim, I'm absolutely positive. At one point you and I sat in the small gym in Vegas and watched him play basketball in the summer league. And we're like, this dude sucks. So credit to him. He does not suck. He does not and, suck. And and I mean, I like vividly remember watching like a Bulls. I think it was Bulls Kings or something in the small gym way back in the, like summer league 2017. And and this dude was not, you know, not the player he is today. But well, So we have to consider, you know, how to guard him now. I, I have a little a little secret to tell you. Something's going to make you feel a little bit better. On those campaign, let's see how many were there. There were 17 campaign ball screens this game with all the points he scored. When he was running a ball screen and there wasn't some called action or concept being used, when there wasn't Spain action, when there wasn't a double screen, when he wasn't able to create a mismatch in an ISO, when he just had to go play basketball, he scored less than 0.6 points per possession. He was not scoring at all. Oh, wow. When they were running set plays and he was able to facilitate or attack in that Spain action and try to beat Marcus all around the corner, knowing there's no help backline defense. 
that's when he scored 1.64 points per possession. So he went from like absolutely nuclear to can barely score at all based on if the Suns were calling a set or not. So that is, if you can defend those three concepts, campaign isn't an issue anymore. And looking back at game one, he wasn't really an issue. He wasn't scoring well at all in ball screens. He was very inefficient in ball screens. So you can put him back in in that place. You can make him look like summer league campaign like we saw. If you can remove, you know, take take the weapons that he has in those X's and O's and, and strip them away and make him go beat your guys. So that, that would be what I would be telling my guys in the locker room and saying, you know, this guy can be a problem, but only if we don't do our jobs. No, absolutely. It's just, again, that's what you have to think about now with him. Now, I'm not going to say he's the second best player on their team, but he's the second most important ball handler now. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers have shown, even though they did better, did a better job at kind of, you know, limiting Aiton's opportunities. Aiton was still efficient. You know, he had an impact on the game and the verticality, athleticism that he brings to the table can, you know, still give you the same problems that it did with Chris Paul in the pick and roll. So campaign is going to be a big X factor here going forward, Tim. But before we get out of here, just bring boiling this down in a review to a couple points. So we talked about late first quarter. Is it THT? Like last time it was Trez or is it Gasol? We got Gasol. I'm assuming we get Gasol again. So we get Gasol again, hopefully end of the first quarter. Maybe no THT first stint, just Wes. If that happens, you'll be a little bit optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more okay. continuity. Instead of having four lineups in four minutes, give me one or two lineups where most of the guys are the same and the guys that are different are the ones that had been playing that you need to get a rest. But I, I don't want to see THT play like three minutes and, and Keith play four minutes. G- give one guy, pick a guy. I'd pick West, maybe you go THT, but pick somebody and give them a real chance to, to get in a rhythm. All right, something else we'll be looking at. How does the Lakers drop coverage continue to look now that the Suns have had some time to regroup, watch film, and ex- continue to exploit that through the Spain pick and roll? So what will be an example to you of some good kind of omens? If Booker is not making those mid-rangers, obviously that'll be good, but I expect them to, the Lakers to start and drop. So Booker will start to take a few mid-rangers early. So maybe keep an eye on that. We'll get a little lucky. If he's going to get good shots there, if he misses – that could be a quick early break for the Lakers too. Yeah. If he goes into this next game saying they're going to run drop, so I'm not going to try to penetrate. I'm just going to run off these ball screens and and take a bunch of pull-up threes. The numbers on that don't look fantastic on the season, but he is somebody that can certainly make those shots and get hot. And if he's Mm -hmm. able to hit enough of those and force you into a more aggressive screen coverage, does this turn back into what it was in game one where the Lakers were catch hedging and the Suns were beating it pretty well? Or do you get even more aggressive with showing hard with your big man and then recovering? Um, or even do you even go to trap? I think those would be the two things I'd keep an eye on if we see what you're talking about with Devin Booker really taking advantage of the Lakers drop defense with his own individual pull-up shooting. So that, I think, is something to keep an eye out for in Game 3. All right. Any other things come to your mind? I know we listed a bunch of stuff, how we're guarding Spain, how, you know, the Lakers are going to continue to counter those post-up doubles. Uh, Always something to look out for. I continue to look out for the corner three point frequency for uh, the Suns. Just kind of an indication of the other guys, the Cam Johnsons, the Miles Bridges, all the other guys kind of getting a, uh, a hand in the game. Yeah. How has that looked so far, by the way? 
So yeah, I pulled, I looked a little bit on cleaning the glass and, and in this past game, you know, they only had a 9% frequency from three, which is under, it's about, uh, it's, it's small, but still, you know, 15%, it's, I think 10.6 where the Suns were at in the regular season, which was third in the league, I believe, but they were second in best, uh, field goal percentage from the corners during the season at over 43%. And they were 85.7% in this game, but they didn't get it as often. So, you know, it just goes to show, and you know, some of that's campaign. I know, um, Cam Johnson, you know, at the end of the quarters there, uh, at third quarter, I think really hit a couple of big shots, but from the corner, but you know, it, it's the bread and butter for them, for some of these guys. And you don't want, you know, opponent shooters to have any, any kind of uh, clout coming in, any kind of momentum coming into your home games. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of things we were tracking, uh, we also talked about short rolls mm. versus long rolls, and a lot of the rolls have been long. We've seen a lot of DeAndre Ayton lobs or catches at the rim. Those have not been good, and regardless of the screen coverage the Lakers are running, if that is happening, that is a symptom that your screen coverage is being beat. Um, now among the short rolls we have seen, the early results have been promising. The Suns have had two, they have one turnover and one really ugly looking shot from uh, Dario Saric. So, you know, it's there, push them into more of those and the results are going to look fantastic for the Lakers. But that is another thing to keep an eye out for. And then the last point that we talked about was points in the paint, which I am very frantically looking up right now. Points in the paint for the second game were 42 for the Lakers, 40 for the Suns. You, I mean, you won that battle, but you should be winning that Could battle be better. by more. You, you got to be winning that battle by more. You, we're not seeing LeBron James. They, they are, that's true. That is true. But this to me is, you know, LeBron's not driving. That, that is what this is showing you right here because LeBron can, can have a huge impact on this, either him scoring or him driving and then dumping off to guys that can be a big difference. And especially with as much foul trouble as we've seen the Suns can get into really quickly, you want to put more pressure on them, put more pressure on the refs to call those fouls. Um, because if you get one or two guys injured in this rotation, it falls apart pretty quickly. There are guys on the Suns team, they do not want to be playing five to 10 minutes. So if you can make them pay, play 10, 15 minutes, you're in really, really good shape. So another thing to keep an eye out for, um, although I'm not rooting for more starts like the start of that last game, like it just wasn't, to me, it wasn't fun the first like four or five minutes. It was just foul after foul after foul. Terrible. It wasn't really a rhythm. Um, but in general, put that pressure on the rim. So uh, hopefully this gives everyone some stuff to keep an eye out for for that next game. I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, you have home court advantage back going into those first playoff games in Staples and forever. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what that looks like. I've been looking at those Suns Game 7 tickets, and after Game 2, I'm like, ah, we're not going to need a Game 7. Let's let's go take care of some business. Let's win this thing in 5 or 6. Um, and I think the Lakers have a great opportunity. If they can hit some more threes, use that crowd, keep doing what's working, they're, they're adjusting a bit better, they're running better defense. The Suns, I mean, it's a war of attrition in the playoffs, and Chris Paul's not looking good. The Lakers can really go for the throat here in these next two games, and if you can make this 3-1, you're you're sitting pretty. I just want the timeline guys to know that I am marking down every single tweet. Every single tweet this postseason, Suns, Suns fans. I see all of you out there. Why didn't LeBron get suspended? This is 
The double standards. La Mickey and A. Disney. So Suns fans, <laughs> was the bubble good when you went eight and no, or is this the bubble all bullshit? Which one? Make up your mind because you can't decide whether it's bullshit and doesn't mean anything or, uh, you know, your team got a, a ramp up and a boost of energy going into the next season. I love it. I told them I, when we were, before we hit record with those guys, I was like, you guys just you need to know your tweets are being bookmarked and you will be part of like a 12 minute video montage after the Lakers won the title at the end of this year of you saying like, Oh wow, LeBron looks bad today or just any, anything at remotely negative. And they go well past remotely negative, uh, towards the Lakers with some of this stuff. So those, those are some dudes who can throw some punches. AD is going to be on the Shanghai sharks. <laughs> the, you know, Sam and Mike, they know how to throw some punches with, uh, with the tweets. So go have some fun with them. Nothing too nasty. Um, but it's always fun to get into some of those the petty wars on Twitter. Look, we didn't get to pot after we won, so I got to get my shots in. But, Tim, anything you're going to be watching after this game, you feeling good about your investment? I mean, bet. Um, you know, so we're feeling good here at the Lakers, Lakers Exceptionalism Pod. Be on the lookout. I'm sure we will record after game three at some point. But until then, anything else you got, Tim, for this one? I'm just it was a good day. Lakers won, Clippers lost, Celtics lost. I did lose to Clipper Daryl in, in Daily Fantasy. That series is now one-to-one, so I got to get my shit together. I tried to get too cute. Um, I, I have to – I've lost home court. I need to go go kick his ass in these next couple matchups. But um, I'm, you know, looking forward to this Lakers game. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to record after the game because it's a little bit earlier in the day. I feel like we're missing – I feel that FOMO – of having to go to bed at one in the morning instead of being on a spaces at one in the morning <laughs> central time. But uh, af- after some of these earlier games, we'll get in there with everyone. Check us out. Follow us on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA at creative destroyer until next time. We'll talk to you later. Peace out.